human family has been constantly afflicted with war, disease, and natural disasters. Consider the destruction caused by war. Chris Hedges' article, What Every Person Should Know About War, published in the New York Times in 2003, contains some sobering facts. He stated, of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of them, or just 8% of recorded history. He adds, at least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century. Estimates for the total number killed in wars throughout all human history range from 150 million to 1 billion. Disease has been another major source of suffering and death. According to an article in Business Tech in 2015 entitled The Biggest Killer Diseases in History, the diseases that have caused the most death include AIDS, 36 million, cholera, 40 million, influenza, 50 million, Plague, 240 million, smallpox, 500 million, tuberculosis, 1 billion, and malaria, possibly billions. Another major cause of pain and death is natural disasters. The World Health Organization reported in 2020 that every year, Natural disasters kill approximately 90,000 people and affect around 160 million worldwide. Throughout the centuries, millions have died due to natural disasters. These numbers stagger the mind. But they will pale in comparison to the death and destruction that is coming on the earth during the tribulation. In Revelation chapter 6, the Lamb of God begins to open the scroll with seven seals. The breaking of the first six seals unleashes the wrath of the Lamb against a world in total rebellion against God. The first seal releases a white horse whose rider is the Antichrist. He promises peace, but his peace is short-lived. The second seal brings forth a red horse whose rider causes world war. A black horse gallops forth when the third seal is opened. This rider spreads famine and starvation throughout the earth. Death is riding the fourth horse that appears when the fourth seal is broken. The color of his horse is pale representing death. Because of the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts, the fourth seal judgment will result in the deaths of a fourth of the earth's population. With the breaking of the fifth seal, the scene shifts from earth to heaven. The focus falls on martyrs beneath the altar. These are the souls of those killed for their faith. They cry out for God to bring justice to this wicked world. 
When the sixth seal is broken, a combination of earthquakes and volcanoes will fill the skies with ash, causing the sun and moon to be concealed. Asteroids and meteorites will rain down upon the earth, and the mountains will be moved out of their places. Initially, people refused to connect the worldwide disasters and chaos with the wrath of the Lamb. However, breaking the six seals, breaking the sixth seal will cause overwhelming fear and strike the hearts of people literally around the world. Finally, they will realize that God is pouring out his righteous judgment and the people will begin to cry for the rocks to fall upon them to hide them from Almighty God. Chapter 6 closes with a stirring question, and this will be the question for this evening. It's concerning the great day of wrath that has come. The question is, who is able to stand? Considering the worldwide catastrophe brought about by God's judgment, will anyone be saved? Can anyone survive? Chapter 7 serves as an interlude or parenthetical section so that this question can be answered. This passage reveals that two groups of people will be saved during these terrible times we know as the tribulation. Each of these groups is introduced through a new vision that John sees. So let's now go to the text, Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And the first thing we see, notice the angel's service for the Lord. Verse 1 speaks about four angels standing. We find this phrase, after this or after these things. You see it in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. You also find it in Revelation 7 1, 7 9, 15 5, 18 1, and 19 1. Each time it is employed, a new vision is being introduced. Here, after this, indicates that the sixth seal vision is complete, and God is unveiling a new vision for John to see. The focus has been on the wrath of the Lamb against the wicked, rebellious world. Now the attention turns to those who are able to survive the tribulation. Look with me in verse 1. You'll find these words. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. John's eyes behold four mighty angels capable of of controlling the forces of nature. Skeptics like to claim the phrase standing at the four corners of the earth is an indication that the Bible teaches the earth is flat. However, they fail to see that this usage refers to the four directions from which the wind blows, north, south, east, and west. The number four is used three times in this verse. Four angels, four corners of the earth, and the four winds of the earth. 
This indicates a tie between the angels, the earth, and the winds. Look at verse 1 again. We read on and see, holding back the four winds of the earth. The mission of the four angels is described as holding back the four winds of the earth. The phrase holding back comes from a Greek word which conveys the thought that the winds are pressing to be released. The scripture in scripture judgment is sometimes depicted by the four winds of the earth. For example, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 49 verse 36. Also Daniel chapter 7 verse 2 and Hosea chapter 13 verse 15. Here in Revelation, these winds represent God's judgment that will soon be set free to blow across the earth. Verse 1 goes on to say, So that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. The reason the angels are restraining the winds is so that the judgment of God will be held back during this interlude. Throughout this period, judgment will not fall on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Then we see one angel ascending. Notice, if you would, in verses 2 and 3. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. John realizes the ultimate purpose of this pause in judgment when he sees another angel ascending from the east. Verse 2 goes on to say, having the seal of the living God. The Greek term for seal commonly refers to a signet ring. The seal was used as an expression of authority, a sign of legitimacy, and to provide security by kings and other authorities. The signet ring was pressed into wax to seal official documents. This, however, was no ordinary seal. This was the seal of the living God. As we will see in Revelation chapter 13 verses 16 and 17, chapter 14 verses 9 through 11, chapter 16 verse 2, Chapter 19, verse 20, and chapter 20, verse 4, the Antichrist will place a mark on those who follow his leadership. However, the living God will seal those who are his. His seal will be the names of Christ and the Father. We read of that in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Let's continue to read in verse 2 and look on into verse 3 with me. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. The four angels hold back the winds of God's judgment so as not to harm the earth or the sea or the trees. This restraint will allow time for the angel to mark the bondservants of our God with a seal on their foreheads. We know 
those referred to as the bondservants are already redeemed. They will be used to proclaim the gospel of Christ throughout the remainder of the tribulation. The seal of the living God will protect these bondservants from the persecution of the Antichrist and his followers. Once the seal has been applied, the judgment of the Lamb will resume with the opening of the scroll's seventh seal. This will release even greater wrath than the preceding six seals. The breaking of the seventh seal will be followed by the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. But before the calamity strikes, let us see the identity of the two groups who will survive the coming great tribulation. The first group you will find in verses 4 through 8. The 144,000. These are the ones sealed for the Lord. Notice the number of the seal in verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. Some take the position that the 144,000 is symbolic and represents the totality of the nation of Israel. However, it is best to take this number literally. Others hold that the 144,000 should be viewed as the church. There is no indication in the text that would lead one to conclude the church is represented by this number. Seeing the 144,000 as Jews who embrace Jesus as the Messiah is consistent with Paul's writing in Romans chapters 9 through 11. In Romans 11 verses 25 through 27 we read, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed as to or as of this mystery so that you will be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now on into verse 4, we see that these 144,000 are sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Another reason to believe the 144,000 is a reference to Israel is because the terminology every tribe of the sons of Israel. This is a very important key. And this is used exclusively in scripture to refer to Israel. Also the listing of the 12 tribes and the 12,000 people associated with each of them is further proof that the nation of Israel is the focus here. Then look with me, if you would, in verses 5 through 8. Here we see the names of the sealed. 
From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Nephtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Now pay careful attention here. The unique way the tribes are listed in this passage has led to much discussion. However, the listing of the 12 tribes differs in order and names no less than 19 times in the Old Testament. In his commentary on Revelation, Robert Thomas addresses the various ways the 12 tribes are listed. He stated, in the Old Testament lists, sometimes the order of birth is followed. We see this in Genesis 29 through Genesis 35. At other times, it is the order of Jacob's blessing. You'll find this in Genesis 49. The order of encampment is another way they are listed. Numbers chapter 2. The order of census before the invasion of Canaan is used in Numbers 26. The order of blessing and cursing, Deuteronomy 27. The order of Moses' blessing, Deuteronomy 33. The order of the princes in in Numbers chapter 1. The order of inheritance, Joshua chapter 13 through chapter 22. The order by the wives and concubines, First Chronicles chapter 2 through chapter 8. And the order of the gates of the city, Ezekiel chapter 48. Some of the notable differences found in the Revelation list include Judah's name appearing before Reuben. The likely reason is twofold. First, Reuben's birthright was lost due to his sexual sin with Jacob's concubine. And you can read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. Second, the Messiah came from the line of Judah. Notice also that Dan's name is missing from the list because the tribe turned to idolatry. You can study that in the book of Judges chapter 18, verses 14 through 31. Although his tribe is not to be uh, protected during the tribulation, Ezekiel chapter 48 tells us that the tribe of Dan is among those being blessed during the millennial reign. So there's the grace of God certainly being exhibited there. Joseph is also mentioned among these 12. He is one of Jacob's sons. His father blessed him with a double portion which Joseph shared with his two sons. We read about this in Genesis chapter 49. 
of Joseph's sons. Manasseh is included on this list. But his brother Ephraim is not because his tribe also turned to idolatry. You can read about that in Hosea 4, 17. Joseph's name is listed instead. But here's the bottom line. When you read these names, these, these tribes, and you, you see a variation in how they're presented in Revelation. I told you why that is true in just a few moments ago. But, but here's what I want you to remember and take from this text. This passage is a reminder that God will keep his promises to Israel. That, that's what you need to remember. He will use these 144,000 Israeli believers as a vast host of passionate evangelists. Having been sealed, they will be protected from the threats of the Antichrist and those who follow him. They will travel the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest ingathering of souls in history will occur as a result of their preaching. So the first group that we identify here in the book of Revelation, who will escape the tribulation, they will survive it. They will be saved during it, will be the 144,000. But there's a second group. And we see this group mentioned in verses 9 through 17. This is the multitude that stands before the Lord. We begin to read now in verse 9 and we see the enormity of this multitude. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues. Again, as I mentioned earlier, as seen in Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, chapter 7 verse 1, and as you will see in chapter 15 verse 5, chapter 18 verse 1, and chapter 19 verse 1, the phrase, after these things, or similar terminology, is used to introduce a new vision. The vision referred to in verse 9 is different from the one presenting and presented in Revelation chapter 7 verse 1 that we just examined. John, the one receiving the new vision, says, Behold, this term appears to convey John's amazement at the size of the multitude standing before the throne. The number gathered is so great no one could count. And then we come, notice if you would, and read... And we, we see here the importance of, of this number represented among the multitudes or people. The Bible says here in this passage from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues. This diverse assembly is distinct from the 144,000 mentioned in the first half of this chapter. Unlike the 144,000 that were composed of 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, this innumerable multitude contains an extensively diverse representation from around the world. This massive gathering is evidence 
that the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists is having a global impact. Untold millions will come to Christ throughout the dark days of the tribulation. Then we see the activity of the multitude. Look with me in the latter part of verse 9 and then to verse 12. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Having entered heaven due to natural causes, martyrdom, or because of the worldwide catastrophes, the multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb swells far beyond the number of martyrs under the throne mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Like those martyrs who were given a white robe, This multitude was also clothed in white robes. The Greek term for white means a robe that is dazzling, brilliant, and shining. These white robes are symbolic of purity and holiness. Their righteous covering has been imputed to them because of their relationship with Christ. Then chapter 9 goes on and says, a palm and palm branches were in their hands. The use of palm branches was common in times of celebration. In the Old Testament, palm branches were used for celebrations during the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read about that in the book of Leviticus chapter 23 verses 40 through 43. These branches were also used to construct booths in which the people lived during the celebration. We read about that in Numbers chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. Observing this feast reminds God's people of His sovereign provision for them during the exodus and the wilderness wanderings. In the New Testament, Jesus was greeted by people waving palm branches as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. Of course, that is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. The palm branches in the hands of the multitude around the throne indicate they are celebrating their salvation with great joy and thanksgiving. And then we come to verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The multitude loudly raises their voices to acknowledge that God alone, that God alone is to be credited for their salvation. John notes that they cry out to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This expression notes both the unity of God and the deity of Christ. Then verse 11 says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the altars and the four living creatures And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. 
The multitude was not alone around the throne. Three other groups were included in the great celebration. First, John sees all the angels. No number is mentioned probably because they are too numerous to count. Second, the elders are listed. As we discussed in detail in our study of Revelation chapter 4 verse 4, the elders represent the raptured church. And then third, the four living creatures are present. These beings are exalted angels. We were initially introduced to them, if you remember, in the book of Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Together, the heavenly host fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And then notice what they were saying. You can read about that in verse 12. Saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The great expression of praise begins and ends with the word, Amen. Can we say that word together? Amen. This term of affirmation means, so let it be. So whenever you say amen or amen, that's what you're saying, so let it be. It is an affirmation of what what has been said. Seven words are used to glorify God here in verse 12. Blessings, glory, wisdom, Thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. This crescendo of praise is to our God forever and ever. God is worthy of all of our praise for now and always. This is truly a remarkable scene. Then as we look into verses 13 and 14, we see the identity of the multitude. Verse 13 tells us, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? A question is posed to John by one of the elders. This question is not asked for the purpose of acquiring information. Rather, the reason for the inquiry is to share important news. Verse 14 tells us, this is John speaking, I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John responds, Lord, you know. His use of the term Lord when responding to one of the elders is not a recognition of deity, but simply an expression of respect. John concedes that he does not know the identity of the multitude or from where they come. The elder shares two vital details with John. First, he said, 
these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. The people that make up the multitude were left behind when the church was raptured. Due largely to the disasters and persecution during the tribulation. Or in some cases, natural causes. These people died and appeared before the throne of God. They use the phrase come out, or should say the use of the phrase come out of the great tribulation implies more will be added to the number as the tribulation continues. He mentions a second important detail about this group. He said they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Despite the violent attacks from the Antichrist and his followers, these people have heard the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and have responded with saving faith. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his resurrection has provided salvation to these new believers. Their faith in Christ alone has served to wash away their sins. The same salvation that you and I have experienced through faith in Christ will be experienced by those even in these most difficult of circumstances. And now we've arrived at verses 15 through 17 and we see the security of the multitude. Let's look in verse 15 together. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. Because they have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, they can come before the throne of God. Their service is rendered day and night in the temple. This expression, day and night, is meant to show continual service to God. Never again will these tribulation saints have to suffer pain or peril. God will spread his tabernacle over them. His glorious presence will cover them with protection. Notice in verses 16 and 17, they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Those around the throne are promised that their suffering is over. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more oppressive heat like they had experienced during this tribulation period while on the earth. Now the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Naturally, The shepherd cares for the lamb. But this is no ordinary lamb. This is the lamb of God. 
He will shepherd his sheep throughout eternity. He will guide them to springs of the living water, the water of life, so that they will never thirst again. Their sorrow will be over. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We have heard of the great awakenings that have impacted our nation throughout history. We sometimes pray that God will send another one. We should be praying that today. We desperately need one here in America. We long to see large numbers of people swept into the kingdom of God. However, the greatest spiritual awakening that the world will ever see will occur during the most horrendous time on earth as the judgment of God is raining down upon this wicked world. God will use this disaster to cause people to come to him for salvation. This should remind us of the great mercy of God and the extent to which he will go to redeem the lost. Those who trust him will experience salvation. They will survive the tribulation. Those who reject him will perish. The same is true today. The same is true right now. Those who hear the gospel and respond with saving faith will be forgiven of their sins, cleansed of their unrighteousness, brought into the family of God, and they are promised eternal life. And they too will be given the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior. I appeal to you. Call upon Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Give your life to Him and by faith receive His free gift of salvation. His desire is to welcome you into His family. But if you reject His offer of grace, there is no hope. There's no hope. Now some of you may think, well, I'm just going to wait until the tribulation comes. And then I'll be saved. I urge you don't do that. First of all, most people will not respond favorably. Most will not. It will be the most horrendous time the world has ever experienced. The Bible says there's never been a time like it as bad in the past. And there will be no time like it as bad in the future. And there have been some terrible times on this planet throughout the course of human history. When the church is evacuated, and there is a sense in which the church is a restraining force for evil, when the church is called out, I'm telling you, it's going to be a terrible place to be. But even in the midst of it all, God's grace will still be available to those who call upon him. But you don't have to wait. Tonight you can receive Christ as your Savior. Would you bow your heads for prayer? If you're here and you say, Pastor, I've heard your message I know that I need to be forgiven. 
and I want to yield my life to Christ. I want to acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior. Would you pray a prayer from your heart to God's heart? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve death and hell. But I'm thankful for your grace. I'm grateful that Jesus came and lived without sin. And died on the cross that I could be forgiven. Right now, I turn from my sin and self, and I trust Jesus to save me. Wash me clean, Lord, from my sins. Purify me, Lord, and please give me eternal life with you. Give me strength now to follow you for the rest of my life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.